Shot City. For the better part of the next three hours, I am your voice. This is Anthony Heron bringing you the first Miller Lite top draft show we have had in nearly two years. So happy to be out at Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill in West Chicago. Living in the city, it took me a minute to get out here, so I had a little bit of traffic, but I am pleased to be here right now. Got a great crowd that is gathering and increasing. They are all decked out in their Bears garb to and fro, which I am loving because first place will be on the line in the division this weekend. Packers are going to be the opponent, and Lance Briggs. Bears great will be joining me about one hour from now, so we're going to have a lot of fun out here this evening. I am not the only one looking forward to that. I can tell very, very much so that the folks here in attendance and actually inside as well, we're outside of Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill. But folks not only out here, but as we get closer and closer to Lance joining, I'm sure more folks will be coming from inside, joining us outside here under this lovely tent, under these beautiful lights and everything as the, the light outside diminishes, the light inside this tent will be shining bright. But unfortunately, the lights have been turned out on the south side of Chicago for the baseball club out there as the White Sox go down at 10 to 1 in the American League divisional series now there have been a lot of discussion about like which baseball team in town folks are allowed to root for and everything with the whole john cusack situation i'm sure a lot of you saw on social media i mean did, is, is there a big contingent either way cubs fans Sox fans obviously all bears fans here right now excited for for lance briggs but like cubs socks in any preference either way Socks. All right. So, yes, that is why the mood is a bit dampened. So I'm seeing food consumed. I'm seeing beverage consumed. I'm seeing a lot of things as folks are eating their sorrows, drowning their sorrows, you name it. Uh, a magnificent season comes to quite a thud in the way things closed out there against the Astros. And you know, heard, uh, heard Danny and Matt, heard uh, Parkins and Spiegel talking about it as their show was closing out. And in the end, and they, they took a few calls. I'll take some callers here in a moment as well but i mean it was painfully obvious that the white Sox were just uh just outmanned outgunned out executed by the astros every phase i mean you know maybe not every game top to bottom but no doubt about the the world series pedigree that was on display from houston and for the the second off season in a row i mean you can certainly throw last year against oakland into that mix as well where just looked like the Sox were, were not a team ready to play quite on that postseason baseball level. And that was the case again in this series against Houston. So feel free to give me a ring here because we will be fairly Sox heavy reacting to this game, this series, this season leading up to Lance Briggs joining me at the top of the hour. In just a few short minutes, Loho, Lawrence Holmes, will join me here on the show as well to get his first blush reaction of what we uh, – what we saw and what we hope to see moving forward. We'll, we'll see how quickly Lawrence is sort of ready to transition from what happened mode to what needs to happen mode, looking uh, in the rear view, but then towards the future also. And we know he'll be uh, breaking that down in great detail on the Lawrence Home Show once he gets back in tomorrow as well. But appreciate him. He's going to join me in just a few minutes. But my, my initial reaction to, to what I saw um, in, in, the, in total, from the, the season as a whole, I mean, when you look at what was building towards this point, what the White Sox were hoping to become, and it, it felt like we saw a lot of signs that they were becoming that. Now, the, the evidence, you know, the, the record versus teams with losing records, the records versus teams with, uh, with winning records, there, there's still a dichotomy there. 
but the comfort that they had in closing out the season, that, that was a big question mark for me that I discussed on, on multiple outlets, TV and radio in town here, and just whether or not the White Sox were going to be able to be at their peak once postseason arrived. And, you know, historically, the, the metrics don't necessarily indicate that you have to be a hot team at the close of the baseball season to be able to have success in postseason play. But from a health standpoint, it, it did strike me funny. My biggest concern was just how, how banged up, how, how beleaguered the starting pitching staff seemed to be, even though and, you know, there, there's plenty of discussion to be had about Tony La Russa on the whole and in this series in particular. But you know, it's not like he just ground the guys into dust. I mean, he, he did what I felt like, you know, for the most part, everything he could to try and get guys to the IL, to try and get guys extra days rest and get them as healthy as he plausibly could. And for whatever reason, we, we still didn't see Lance Lynn at his best. We still saw, you know, Michael Kopech having to take time in and out of the lineup and not looking as electric as we saw him looking as, as, as his stuff when it's at its best can look. And, you know, today was just a, another example of that. I didn't personally, and I, I tweeted out right before the game started, I didn't have any issue starting Carlos Rodon in this game, not only just because of a lot of the evidence that was there when he was at his best earlier in the season, an all-star level pitcher looking like one of the best in the game, but it's not like the White Sox had another starter who really proved that they deserved the stage of the elimination game today either. Lance Lynn hasn't been at his best for quite some time now. You know, it would have been a lot to ask of Dylan Cease. Maybe he could have been ready coming out the pen or something like that, but you know, Carlos Rodon, I think you, you got less than three innings out of him. You, you got pretty much a similar effort, a similar execution, a similar performance from Rodon as you got from, you know, everyone not named Lucas Giolito and Giolito didn't mow down this lineup either. So I, I didn't have any problem giving Rodon the start. If I was going to quibble with, with anything, once he got Michael Kopech up in the third inning, and I thought they made the point on the broadcast as well on the TV side of things that, you know, yeah, could have made the point to, to get Kopech actually into the game when the bases got loaded as opposed to, you know, after the lead was given up. But in the end, again, you know, Kopech didn't go in there and mow folks down either. So I think there is a lot of blame and examination to, to go around about it. The, the game on the whole, though, the way that the offense and the, this lineup that is so gifted in, in a lot of spaces, so young and talented, the limited amount of extra base hits that they got is just is jarring. You know, the, the approach when, they're, when the boppers were out for, for a lot of the season, when you didn't have Aloy and you didn't have Luis Robert, you didn't have some of the guys more, you know, more accustomed to the long ball, then the approach at the plate still put runs on the board. And so it seemed like that was going to be a good sign for postseason play. Once the power was all back. And once even, you know, Yasmani Grandal was back to the point where he was swinging for the fences as well, it seemed like, you know what, we saw an approach at the plate, seeing a lot of pitches, you know, hitting for some extra base, but not necessarily driving it out of the park, and that that should lend itself to finding success in the postseason. And against what, what may end up being the class of the American League yet again, Houston, that did not prove to be the case. 3-1-2, 644-6767-312-644-6767 is the number to call in. I want to let you guys react a little bit while we're here. So, Stubbs, why don't you uh, why don't we go ahead and open up the phone lines, get some folks involved here in the discussion. Looks like Kyle is out in Wisconsin who wants to talk about how the season ended for the White Sox. Kyle, what's happening, man? You got Anthony here. 
Hey, good evening. How's it going? Not too bad, Kyle. I'm looking forward to a strong night here. How about you? I'm pretty good. Um, I got a couple of things, and I'll uh, hang up and I'll uh, hear your comments. Uh, first of all, I think I think uh, Tony Larusa. Um, I think they should keep him at least one more year. I mean, if he doesn't come back, he doesn't. But I think they should at least give him one more shot if the team wants him back. And I think he did try his best to uh, have like the offense and pitching uh, do good this season. Um, yeah, obviously it wasn't enough, and uh, yeah, obviously uh, we lost big and didn't do very good in the uh, division series. But hey, you know, there's always an next year. Um, um, that was my first thought. My second thought is, what are your thoughts about maybe picking up some like free agents, like in the off season? Like, do you know of any like free agents who could come to the White Sox or who would be a good fit? And uh, right. that's all I got. And I'll uh, hang up and I'll listen. Yeah, appreciate you, Kyle, calling in from Wisconsin. I think that that last point is to me the biggest one. I'm, you know, I said it at the start of the season. I feel the same way right now. I mean, Tony Larusa, every baseball manager, you, you go through the season, and especially through the lens that we tend to view these things through, where we're watching every pitch, we're analyzing every game. There are always going to be things to question, things to quibble with. You know, if you first guess it is one thing, and then you know you kind of come back and lean back on the results on the back end and say, well, he should have done this or that. I think baseball lends itself to being a sport that isn't as dependent on the manager for for broader success with the squad. But you know, the the talent that's here, the talent that's been accumulated, is immense. But there's still money available to spend, or at least there should be money available to spend. And I, I think that you know, to Kyle's kind of latter point there, that's where I believe the White Sox offense needs to be, or offseason needs to be focused, is, is where can they upgrade. You know, and it's not like they didn't try to make some moves to make sure the bullpen was secure you know, at the trade deadline and to, to add another bat to the lineup. I mean, they did a few things at the trade deadline where it's not like they just sat on their hands and were just hoping for the best because of some of these moves that have been made through the minor league system in recent years. So I respect that. But going into the offseason here, you know, to, to make sure you're deep at catcher. What we saw, man, what, what was happening on the base pass in this series. And Houston's not even a squad that necessarily steals bases at a high level, but they scouted it, they executed it. They said, we are taking bases because the White Sox just give bases away like it's Christmas. So they continued to do that. And it did end up being a part of what turned the tide in the game today. 312-644-6767. Let's see if we can get a couple more callers in here before we take a timeout for Low Hope. Uh, who we got? We got Nick. Nick is out just leaving Sox Park right now. Nick, what's happening, man? You got Anthony Heron. Hey, man, how's it going? I uh, I know that we're supposed to already start what do we do next year and all that, and who's to blame? I This one hurts. I'm going to wallow in this one tonight. I honestly am standing in lot A, and I don't want to go home because it feels like unfinished business. But it was it was a good environment when the game started, and then – it just kind of got away from them. But what a great season that they had. And it's been a long 18 months. And honestly, having the White Sox to watch most nights got me through some, you know, got most of us, I think, through a pretty dark time. So thanks to the White Sox. And I just hope they can do it next year. Thanks. That ending things on a on – a- Somewhat positive note, somewhat depressing in the initial, and I think Nick kind of got himself to a positive place in the end, being thankful for what the White Sox brought us, what the South Side has allowed us to enjoy during many of the summer months. Obviously, things on the north side of town 
were rather drab and dreary after they started trying to trade the farm away and the White Sox brought a lot of joy to this city. And I think that relates to the previous caller that we had a moment ago about this offseason because when it comes down to it, man, I mean, you know, one of the questions historically that's there about the White Sox, are they going to show up? Will the fans be there? Will folks be watching? Man, this is such a fun squad. And, you know, the concern I was talking about before the season with Larusa and bringing him in as the manager, you know, on the field, they're too talented, and he's won too many games as a manager. I didn't have any concerns that the White Sox weren't going to win at a high level with Tony Larusa. Was it still going to be fun? Was that kind of, you know, that kind of bravado still going to be there that everyone could kind of gravitate towards? There were certainly a couple of moments where that may have dampened a little bit, but it's just such a cool fun young team that feels like they're going to be right there in the hunt for a long time well at the same time we have recent examples from the north side where none of that is guaranteed and that's where one of the bigger points i want to discuss with lawrence holmes in a moment comes into play because development for this squad has to be key you know we try to try to learn from every example that we take in the sports sphere at least i do and one of the things that was the reason that the north side has ended up trading away that the bulk of what was kind of their young core and even some of their experience core was that it felt like all those guys kind of plateaued during the time they were with that organization. White Sox cannot rest on that. The White Sox cannot assume that all these guys are going to continue to get more and more excellent every season and that championships and divisions and postseason advancement is guaranteed. How do you continue to refine your organization to not guarantee, but to put yourself in the best position for advancement? That's where their focus would need to be this offseason. Is that enhancing the roster of the players? Is that enhancing the, the way the coaching staff itself, the development of that staff, your, your pitch lab, all these things that the, the best clubs in baseball, that the most modern franchises in baseball are doing, that's where the White Sox need to make sure they're as refined as possible. I'm going to take my first time out here and make sure I get to my guy Lawrence Holmes because I know everyone out there will be very eager to hear Loho's initial thoughts on what happened here on the south side of the city. I'm out at Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill here in West Chicago with the Miller Lite Top Draft Show. First Miller Lite Top Draft Show we've done. A, I'm told uh, a remote like this has been since, what was it, January or February of 2020 and first Miller Lite Top Draft Show two seasons ago. So, I mean, it, it is going to be very fun. Sox heavy in this first hour. Then Lance Briggs will join me from 7 o'clock until 8.30 tonight. Plenty of Bears talk Bears conversation and discussion to come throughout the show. I'll get some of my thoughts on where things stand. I know you guys get to hear me plenty on the score giving those out, but also from the great Lance Briggs. You'll get plenty of that throughout the evening. Time out here, though. I'm Anthony Heron out in West Chicago for the Miller Lite Top Draft Show. Lawrence Holmes joins me next on the score. Bouncing ball to the right side. Altuve's got it. The throw to first for a fifth consecutive season. The Houston Astros are headed to the American League Championship Series. Well, thanks to FS1 and the what I found to be a very, very enjoyable broadcast crew. My guy Adam Abin, AJ Prezinski, Adam Wainwright, and Tom Verducci on the call for the games that were on FS1, and that's how it sounded as things closed out. The Chicago White Sox go down 10-1 to to the Houston Astros, not advancing. At least uh, a game was won, so I, I guess they had that going for them at least. But uh, all of you will continue to hear this individual from noon to 2, as you do every day here on 670 The Score. And uh, when I was on his show yesterday, he said he'd be willing to join me since I was going to be here at the Miller Lite Top Draft out here at uh, – 
Let me make sure I get the full name correct. Yes, Ed Hawthorne's Backyard Barn Grill in West Chicago. So once I told Lawrence I was going to be out here, he said he would be willing to join me for a little White Sox reaction. And our guests who join us on The Score, The Score Hotline presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Loho, Lawrence Holmes with me now on The Score. What's happening, Lawrence? Big Ant, thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate you opening up the airwaves so that I could talk to the people about what's going on with the White Sox. <laughs> now, do you are you already sort of transitioning into where do we go from here mode, or is it too fresh, no, or is it too new? No, no, uh-huh. no. I am not in that place where I am talking about the offseason at all. I am talking about the way that this series went. And here's the thing that makes me mad. And I I wonder if there are any White Sox fans who agree with me on this. Throughout the season, whenever anyone who had any level of criticism about the White Sox would, would offer that criticism about the way that they were approaching their season, there were a couple of, of replies that we got. And the most prevalent one from people that know was, it doesn't matter how they're playing right now. Because once they get into the postseason, it's a different ball game. So don't worry about the fact that, that they didn't win on the road. Don't worry about the fact that they didn't beat good teams consistently, that they were under 500 against those good teams. Don't worry about some of the issues that they have with injuries in their rotation. None of that stuff is going to matter once they get into the postseason. And we saw that all of the things that that White Sox fans and people who were critical of the White Sox were saying about this team, about them not taking extra bases, not being a good base running team, not being a, a good team when it comes to defensive shifts, not being heads up in games, not having a good approach at bats. All of that stuff was supposed to magically go away, even though it was the same collection of guys. And in the four games that we saw, and, and I, I was saying on my, on my podcast, for three and a half games, the White Sox played like that team that everyone criticized throughout the season. And, and they don't really have a good rebuttal to the fact that they play the way that they played against Houston is what every White Sox fan feared throughout the entire season. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm wondering, as we were watching that play out throughout the season, one of the things I was referencing a, a few minutes ago was that that home road split from the ball club was that record versus teams with losing records versus teams with a winning record. So how much of that goes towards youth? How much of that goes to approach? How much of that goes towards, you know, the managerial positions that they are being put in? Like, how do, how do they improve upon that? What could have been done? Well, one of the things that was frustrating for me was that some of this stuff was supposed to be cured by you bringing in Tony LaRusso. That you were supposed to be a more buttoned-up team. And, and most people thought that it was just kind of like you're bringing him in to be the baseball police. And, and, and there was that fear. But what I wanted Tony LaRusso to do was to make them a better squad by doing whatever it is that he does. I wanted them to be a better situational hitting team or a better situational defensive team. And we didn't see any of that stuff happen. I think that that there are plenty of managers who could have won the American League Central with this group. But the whole point of bringing in Tony La Russa was that you were hoping to take steps to, to get beyond 
where you were last year, going home after losing the first series that you play. And yeah, the White Sox are going to spin this over the next couple of days. They're going to tell you that it's not the same because last year was the wild card series and this was the divisional series. We won a division, so therefore we were we are in a better place than what we were last year. And and semantically that's true. But once you got into the series, the same type of things that crippled you versus Oakland last year found their way to cripple you in this series against the Astros. And you kind of saw what the what the goal is to be. I think that that I'm not going to put all of this on Tony. Like it, it's not his fault that all of the starting pitchers couldn't go deep into the games. It, it's not. It's not his fault. Where I do think that he deserves some blame is in situations where guys didn't have it, he didn't go to the right guys in the right moment, or he didn't have guys ready. Like, for example, today, you see the signs with Rodon. You see, okay, well, he was juiced up for that first inning, and that's why we got 97, 98, 99 in that first inning. Once you get to the second inning, you're seeing the velo already drop. And in the third inning, then the command went too. And he, he should have had Kopech ready to face Correa. It shouldn't have been a, well, we'll let tr- Carlos try to get out of this thing. It's the, Carlos Correa is, it, it, I know it's hard to believe, he's one of the, the best postseason hitters in the history of baseball. If, if we talk about just runs batted in, he's one of the best that's ever done it in the entire history of baseball. And it would have been nice to throw a fresh arm at him at that point, or as fresh as Kopech would be. And I, I, I think that that was a theme for Tony in the series where he either didn't make the right choice, and that, that sometimes has to do with execution, but not having guys ready. Like, that's being asleep at the switch. And those are things that when you bring in him, he's not supposed to do. You know the voice, that is Lawrence Holmes joining me on the Miller Lite Top Draft Show here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. He is, of course, because you all follow him already. He is on Twitter at Lawrence W. Holmes. We're breaking down what just happened with the Chicago White Sox as their season comes to an end in a 10-1 loss in the ALDS. The, the starting staff where, where Tony La Russa was was kind of finding spots to give them breaks and, and give them a little rest as we kind of, you know, as the division was, was essentially decided and we're coming down the stretch. He's putting guys on the IL here and there, giving them an extra day rest here and there. The fact that they get to the, the postseason and for whatever reason, guys' arms still seem janky, still seem to be falling apart. Is there some way that that could have been maybe nurtured differently I mean from top whether we're talking Lance Lynn wasn't the same dude obviously Carlos Rodon wasn't the same guy you know Kopech had his stints on and off not looking like the same guy is there a way that could have been nurtured differently no I I think that this year was so unprecedented that the White Sox did everything that they could organizationally to try and make this work guys are taking huge jumps in the amount of innings that they're pitching and with some of the injuries it just they had to try everything, and now, like now, you get a sense of why. Like they, the you had three healthy pitchers going, three healthy starting pitchers going into this without Dallas Keuchel being on the playoff roster. Healthy, you're expect you're healthy-ish. healthy-ish. As as healthy, <laughs> I, I'm saying like there are no actual injuries. Like clearly something's yeah. wrong with yeah. Rodon, 
and I imagine during the offseason we'll find out about it. I understood the approach that they took in August and September of throwing in a spot star for Reynaldo Lopez here or skipping starts for Carlos Rodon, trying to get him to the finish line. I I guess I could quibble with it if you, if you wanted me to, but I thought that they that was the right approach. Once you get to this point, though, you're expecting those guys. Like, Lucas pitched well last year uh, against Oakland. Lance Lynn yeah. and Carlos Rodon are going to get Cy Young Award votes. Like, they're both going to get them. So you're, you're expecting these guys to give you more. And once it became apparent that these games were essentially bullpen games, you're asking the bullpen to cover a lot of innings. And and that's that's not right. Like, you want to see – I don't even mean dominate. Like, for example, McCullers didn't dominate today, and he only threw four innings, and we now know that it was because he had a little bit of forearm tightness. But if you don't get your team into the fifth inning of playoff games, you're asking to be removed from a series pretty quickly. The opponent that they just lost to, and, you know, I'm, I'm not overly worried about you know, to Pera and the comments he, he makes during the day off or anything like that. But just comparatively, we've seen extended excellence from Houston. And within this series, that, that sort of juxtaposition of, of their success against what has been, for the most part, excellent White Sox pitching this season, what do you see as, as the biggest difference between how the White Sox were, were stymied for, you know, the majority of this series versus how Houston just kind of consistently seemed to have them under duress with the way they were able to take that approach at the plate? Well, this is another thing that the White Sox fans and, and people who have been critical of a, a team that won a division have said. This team hits the ball on the ground too much. And what other teams did and what the Astros did to them in the playoffs was they shifted to where the White Sox hit the ball on the ground. The White Sox didn't do that defensively. And you saw even with, with heat maps of where Jose Altuve hits the ball that the White Sox were reluctant to, to shift over to give themselves a better chance defensively. Those are things that can be corrected. That's just using data and your manager using the data that the front office supplies for him so that can make your team more effective. I know there are people who don't like the shift. I don't understand why they don't like the shift, but – the White Sox should have used everything that was available to them to try and stop the Astros from hitting the ball right back up the middle where, where guys were enjoying. I, I just think that the Astros, their, their approach to at-bats, like they love to work counts. They're not afraid to hit down in the count. They don't, they, they don't seem desperate in games. And sometimes the White Sox seem desperate especially when things don't click for them early. Now, they overcame that in Game 3. In, in Game 3, they were able to fight their way back with some timely hitting, mostly the long ball. But what the Astros have is they're able to create runs in a lot of different ways. They have a diversified offensive profile. And the White Sox are still not quite there yet. They, they, they've got a lot of really great pieces in their lineup but there are times when the lineup doesn't look and feel cohesive. They're, it doesn't feel like they're working a pitcher. It feels like everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, where the Astros as a team, historically, over these last five years, that that's what they've done. 
and and then they find their time to strike. And they, for the most part, and they did it in game three, but remember, in game three, they still scored six runs. The White Sox had three games in this series where they totaled six runs. So so even in the game where they got destroyed, they were still able to, to work at bats and get runs. And the White Sox need to figure out how they can do that more consistently and how they can have the type of approach that, that you want to see in championship baseball. And I, I took some solace when, when a lot of the, the young big bats like Aloy and Luis weren't in the lineup earlier in the season. And so the White Sox were very low in the league in home runs for a lot of the season where they were still putting runs on the board and winning games. And I was taking some solace in that, just thinking that, you know what, maybe this is going to be something that having to use this approach to put runs up will be something that'll aid them later in the season when the boppers are back and then in postseason play when everything is sort of, you know, having to be manufactured at a moment's notice. And I'm not sure where that went. I don't know why that didn't necessarily transfer. Is it just because they're playing Houston and top to bottom? The organization is just as buttoned up as anyone? Yeah, it's it's because in the regular season, you're running in the fourth and fifth starters. You're running into guys who are barely making it inside the bullpen. You're not running up against the best of the best. And when that's why it was concerning to a lot of people looking at the White Sox and going, man, does it mean something that they can't beat teams like the Astros and the Rays? Like that, Those are things that worry White Sox fans throughout this season is are they going to, when it comes to it, are they going to be able to put pressure on other teams offensively in a bunch of different ways? And they haven't been able to kind of turn that corner. Some of it, I think, is is a byproduct of the lineup that you would want the White Sox to put out there every day play like a total of 10 games. And that's including the playoff games. Like your one through six hitters for the White Sox weren't in the lineup that often because this guy, you know, Robert's out, Grandal is out, T.A. might be out for two weeks, Abreu has a day off. Like, they, they never were able to kind of get a consistent lineup vibe together. And, and I, I think that you end up with guys that are trying to do too much in those moments. But organizationally, yeah, I think that what the Astros do, whether it's defensively, what they because I think the White Sox are as talented, maybe even a little bit more talented than than the Astros are. But it's that stuff in the margins. What's that? Defensively or just overall? Overall, I think that okay. the White Sox have a more talented roster than the Astros do. But it's that margin stuff that keeps you from winning games. You know what I look at in in this game in particular, Big Ant. I look at them stealing the two bases off Kopech. Yeah, man. And, and how that, that changed the entire game. Or later in the game when it's 6-1 to one and they're like, yeah, we're not going to let you guys get back in this game again. And Altuve is – A.J. called it. You know, like he was on his toes at second base looking for another ball to, to not be properly caught by Grandal so he could take an extra base. It's that type of stuff, the, the stuff that's in the margins – that still eludes the White Sox. And it's supposed to be the stuff that you brought Tony LaRussa in here to improve upon. And even, I think it was game one where, you know, even obviously there's not a lot to quibble about with Luis Robert for, you know, a guy who looks like he may be on a Hall of Fame track. But even game one, he gave up a base, you know, just with sort of his approach 
in the outfield and the, the several stolen bases while Yaz is there behind the plate, that ended up adding up. And it feels like every run is so important in postseason play. And so the, the approach of everyone, and especially once you're trying to gear towards the playoffs, I, you know, I, I suppose it's, it's hard to, to sort of figure out, hard to divine how the end of the regular season where it looked like there was a game here or there where they're running the bases harder and you see T.A., you know, trying to get that extra base where he's, you know, maybe trying to f- his way to third. And some of those moments came up, but it was inconsistent. And that, you know, for lack of a better term, rest versus rust aspect of, of what happens towards the end of a regular season where, you know, things are already in hand and comfortable for you. And I don't know. I mean, the, that's where I agree, that where the, the Tony La Russa discussion needs to begin. Do you... Do you get the sense, before I let you run here, man, that, that the relationship there between manager and ownership or, or whatever it may be, that they'll be willing to improve those margins with a guy who seems resistant to it, whether it's his comfort, his age, his past approach, whatever, where we got signs during the regular season that he's been resistant to allowing some of that additional data to factor into his approach? The data aspect, I, I, I don't really have a good read on it, um, but... I think that there should be an emphasis placed. If Tony's going to be back as this team's manager next year, I would hope that he puts an emphasis on the defensive stuff. And I'm just talking about individual, like valuing playing defensive players in, in certain, like like the the Adam Engel thing still bothers me yeah. from game two. And, and Grandal, like the White Sox as an organization have to, they have to address that. Grandal is a a really, really special hitter, and he had an incredible, like, anomalous season this year. But he's not good at catching. And as much as people want to talk to me about him framing the ball, you also then have to talk about him boxing the ball while trying to frame it. And and him legitimately – I had Steve Stone say early in the year on my show, he says, I prefer catchers who actually catch the ball. And I think that he's so spot on about that. Grandal struggles with pass balls. He struggles with throwing people out. He struggles with calling games. There were some questions about pitch sequencing in Lance Lynn's start. That that I think it, I think that the White Sox need a more defensive-minded catcher. And all you need to do is look across that what happened in this series. Maldonado can't hit. He can't hit. But you know what he can do? He stopped the White Sox run game. He caught everything that was thrown back there. He blocked every ball that went to the dirt. Those are where you win and lose games in series, in the margins. And because there are so many of those players that are just enough to annoy you but not, like, horrifically bad defensively, it, it makes it easier for people to ignore. It, because Yasmani can frame – People ignore that he drops throws from the outfield that are thrown right to him. Stuff like that, that's how you get beat. And when you look at the way these two teams matched up, that's how the White Sox got beat. They got baseballed. That's what happened to them. The, the, The Astros didn't go out there and just club their way to this. They baseballed them to death in this series and and in the one game that the white Sox won it's because their bats woke up it wasn't because they were playing good ball we just saw a recent example obviously just a few seasons ago on the north side where when everything was right and when defense was at its peak they won the world series and then things just sort of plateaued and fizzled 
And you can't let that happen on the south side. All this contract control is cool unless everybody plateaus and you just end up in this same spot over and over and over. Cannot wait to hear the House of L. Cannot wait to listen to you tomorrow and the rest of the week from noon to two. Loho, appreciate you, my guy. Big Ant, anytime, man. Thanks a lot. That is the great Lawrence Holmes with me here on the Middle Light Top Draft Show, just a few minutes away from being joined by Bears great Lance Briggs here. That's right. He will be with us here at Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill in West Chicago. Still got some callers on the line here, 312-644-6767. I'll take a time out, get a couple more calls in, and prepare for a lot of Bears chatter, but still some Sox reaction to go here. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gavin Sheets lifts one in the air, deep center field, back towards the wall, Myers leaps, it's out of here! White Sox take the lead here in game four. That sound courtesy of Fox Sports 1 as Gavin Sheets became the third White Sox rookie to homer in the postseason joining Taito Iguchi and Luis Robert, who Robert hit one, what, about 8 million feet in the postseason last year, had another outstanding postseason at the plate this year also. So future feels bright, seems bright for what's happening there on the south side, but some screws got to be tightened like we were just talking to Lawrence Holmes about a moment ago. I'm Anthony Heron here at the Middle Light Top Draft from Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill out in West Chicago, having a great time tonight. Got a lot of Bears fans in the house. We were just a few minutes away from being joined by Bears legend, Lance Briggs will be with me here from 7 until 8.30, talking a lot of Bears at that point, but a lot of White Sox reaction coming in here, 312-644-6767. So let's get a couple more calls in before we get done with this first hour that I'm with you, all the way up until 9 o'clock tonight. We've had some folks on hold. Let's go to Johnny, who's on the west side, wants to know what's happening there. Johnny, what's happening? You got Anthony. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hello? Yep, loud and clear, Johnny. What you got? All I'm going to say is I've been watching the Sox since 1974. Season ticket holder. I've never called the radio before. But Lawrence Holmes' description so accurately describes what's up with the White Sox. I just want to give him a pat on the back. I agree with him 100%. Um, all the things he said about where the Sox are deficient and what we were worried about during the season are correct. And uh, I just think that was one of the better – Descriptions of the White Sox, I've heard this entire season, so my hat's off to him. All right, well said, Johnny, because well said by Lawrence, and you will certainly not find many more passionate White Sox fans and individual who can break it down in such detail as Loho did just a few moments ago. You'll, of course, hear Lawrence from noon to two tomorrow getting into all those details. you hear everyone getting into all the details about it before that. And by the way, congratulations to the entire station just for the, the ratings bonanza that 670 the score just uh, is in the midst of here, coming off the summer book, Lawrence, one of those, uh, Dan and Layla of the Bernstein and Rahimi show, Parkins and Spiegel, Mully and Hall, everybody all day just killing it in the ratings standpoint. So congratulations to everyone for doing what they've been doing, making that happen. But yes, you will hear more great commentary from Lawrence and everyone reacting to the White Sox game tomorrow. Let's get another call in here. We got Zach, who's out there on the hotline right now. Wanted to share some thoughts. Zach, what you got, man? Hey, how's it going? I, I want to touch on a point that Lawrence brought up. Grandall is such a huge part of our offensive lineup. Taking him out would be detrimental to the Sox. He brought up the fact that Maldonado is a great defensive catcher, which he is, but the Astros have that luxury because their offense is set. You take Grandall out of the Sox lineup, 
That's a 400 OBP, and they're a much worse team without him. You know what? And appreciate the call, Zach. And I, you know, we were kind of getting a little heavy with the segment. I wanted to allow you guys to call back in before I got done with this hour. But my impression, I didn't follow up and ask Lawrence, but my impression is that Lawrence would probably prefer Yaz to be the DH. So, no, that was even before the season. Lawrence and I were talking back and forth, texting back and forth. The designated hitter spot was a, was a constant source of concern for who would be there. And if Aloy Jimenez is going to be your left fielder more often than not, who will be your consistent DH? It was a great moment for Gavin Sheets in the game today. Multiple extra base hits in a series where the Sox just had difficulty getting extra base hits out there. But as far as a consistent day-in, day-out designated hitter, a guy who fills in as the catcher on occasion, I'm guessing that Lawrence probably wouldn't have too much issue if, uh, if Yasmani Grandal ended up being there as the DH. So that, that's my guess. I don't think he just wants him completely off the team. There's plenty to love about that bat when it's in the lineup. But behind the plate, we saw that get exploited over and over again throughout this series. With the Miller Lite Top Draft, just want to make sure everybody knows we're brought to you by Miller Lite, a proud, bear, a proud beer partner of your Chicago Bears. So Taste Bears fans can depend on it's Miller time. And make sure that as you join us here, as more folks will continue to roll in to uh, Hawthorne's Backyard Bar and Grill as we are just a few minutes away from Lance Briggs joining us here to take advantage of all the specials that they have here at Hawthorne's. A couple more thoughts I have, though, before we kind of transition from the White Sox discussion and get into some Bears talk with Lance in a few minutes. I think that the, the manager discussion sort of overtook everything for, for so much of the, the sort of preseason phase and, and the, the spring training phase of things because it just caught everyone off guard. And you got the DUI and, you know, the embarrassment that that, that caused the organization throughout the season itself. I said this before the year, and I still feel like it right now. You, you, will, you will win with sort of any competent manager because of the construct of this lineup, because of what the division is at the moment. Whether or not they can get Tony La Russa to continue to modernize his approach to things, I think is going to be a big question that the White Sox will need to answer, will need to analyze to see if they can, you know, not just have the, the deepest roster, the most talented guys, but in games like this, in series like this, in postseason play, you know, almost to, to take a, a quote from Jerry Krause, where organizations, it feels like they're, they're winning World Series, they're winning championships right now. And so, whether it is making sure that you have the shift as, as locked in and as in tune as you can, making sure that defensively, your guys are on top of everything, every time you get a new pitcher in there, all those elements that seem to be lacking, or the White Sox seem to be a step behind, the Astros in this series showed up big, and you can't allow that to happen when you're trying to win World Series, and that's what they constructed here. That's what all this, this contract control and everything else that they've put in place is all cool unless you plateau, unless you don't develop. That's part of what that frustration has been from what we saw on the north side where those guys were young and talented, and they got that World Series, and that was cool, and everybody's like, oh, okay, it's the new Atlanta Braves, and then it wasn't. And they didn't develop, and they didn't improve. And guys just seem to be the same player they were every season. And even after Theo goes in there talking about the, the offense being broken and just nothing seemed to get better, the White Sox cannot allow that to be the case, to be the story on the south side. So learn from the other squad right here in this fair city, over on the other side of it. Make sure you are doing everything you can to enhance your ability, to enhance your execution, put yourself consistently in that championship conversation. Now, I've been on the air for an hour, 
Folks tend to get upset with me when I go this long on the score without talking bears. That will end in just a few short moments. Going to take the final time out of this first hour, come back, get into some deeply entrenched bears discussion. We will talk Justin Fields. We will talk defense. We will talk about the oldest rivalry in the history of the National Football League. We will do that with a bears legend. As Lance Briggs will join me next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.